Before we get into today's episode of the podcast, a quick note that today's episode is brought to you by 2Before. 2Before is a product that I've been using for many months now. It is one of my go-to pre-run rituals that I take before my run, and it is something that has significantly contributed to my performance within my runs and workouts and overall just made me feel better. If you've never heard of 2Before before, it is blackcurrants, which are antioxidant berries grown in New Zealand, and studies have shown that consuming them regularly improves endurance by increasing blood flow and removing lactic acid. Blackcurrants also manage inflammation and kickstart muscle recovery, meaning you can hit the next training session feeling strong. Guys, it's used by professional running team Tin Man Elite, as well as teams in the NFL, NBA, and the NCAA, so it's tried and tested. You guys can get 30% off of 2Before with code the running effect 30 not only does this get you 30% off but also free shipping i've left a link to two before's website in the show notes so you guys can scroll down and hit that link or go directly to their website two before.com that's the number two before.com again 30% off with code the running effect 30 Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Running Effect Podcast with Dominic Schleter. Today, I am joined by the one and only Brock Kelly. For those who aren't familiar with Brock, he runs for Mississippi College, where he has progressed over the years into one of their top guys. And Brock also has been documenting his journey and pursuits in the sport of running on his YouTube channel. I've left a link to that in the show notes if you're interested in checking it out. I thoroughly have enjoyed following along. I think I found him in June or May of this year and it's been a privilege following him ever since. He actually was an intern for professional running team Tin Man Elite, which you get to hear about a little bit in today's conversation, and has really just kind of taken over the running YouTube scene, which has been super, super cool to see. Today's conversation is very lighthearted, very fun. Brock brings a lot of wisdom to this discussion, and quite frankly, that's exactly what it is. It's just a conversation, a discussion around a plethora of topics. Brock is currently going through a little bit of an injury as well, so that was interesting interesting to get his thoughts on injuries, consistency, all sorts of different topics that I'm confident you'll walk away from this conversation a better version of yourself and more equipped to tackle the challenges going on within your running and life. One quick note before we hop right into it, if you're not already doing so, I'd greatly appreciate you giving us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Guys, this legitimately takes between five and 10 seconds to hit those two buttons, so I'd appreciate you doing so. And then my final note for you is consider sharing today's episode with a friend, a family member, teammate someone who you think would find value and benefit from it with all of those notes aside i hope you all enjoy my conversation with the man the myth the legend brock kelly brock kelly welcome to the running effect podcast how are you doing this morning i'm doing fantastic happy to be here let me ask you this to start things out what is the normal monday in brock kelly's life look like Usually a recovery run and some weights. So woke up early this morning and uh, haven't been running a whole lot. So I actually hopped on the exercise bike this morning and then lifted some weights with the team. And then uh, this is actually my second cup of coffee that I'm drinking right now. And so there's always coffee involved, usually some weight room and usually some running. I love it. In, in relation to running and coming back from injury, real ones at the YouTube channel, which if you're not subscribed, go do it now. I'll leave a link in the show notes. They know you've been dealing with a little bit of an injury after a, a fire summer of training, which we'll get into later in this conversation. What would be your biggest piece of advice to those listening in regards to coming back from an injury? Um, for me right now, it's just been the idea of just trying to build up a level of consistency in something. 
So I know it's very easy to get really lazy and to not have any level of consistency in what you're doing each and every day. So like it with, Oh, like over the summer, I was just the main thing I wanted to do was be consistent. It's like, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to run every day, maybe twice a day and just build up that consistency. And that's what's going to carry me into the rest of the season and into the early part of the season. That's what's going to get me mentally ready for the, for the season itself. And so right now you take that running out and it's like, okay, what do I become consistent in? And so it's taken a lot of reflection in the last, um, I guess the last month or so trying to figure out, okay, what can I become consistent in? And I've tried to build back up and running some, and I've tried to cycle some, and it's just kind of, it's been difficult to find that consistency, but find something that you can be consistent in, whether it's therapy, whether it's uh, just trying to cross train, whether it's stretching, whatever it may be, try try to find something that you can be consistent in. And that that's going to start to, you can start making these little steps towards progress. For you, was it it was probably harder mentally when this thing came up after such a good summer of training. How'd you kind of deal with that mentally of like, I'm in the best shape of my life. I think you said that in one of the videos, like I'm ready to have a killer season and then boom, right as you get onto campus, these things pop up. So how did you like approach this mentally and what's that side of the injury been like? So I think I'm still trying to figure it out because I'm just in an awkward situation where I'm talking to my coach and I'm like, okay, do I try to run through this? Because what it is, it's posterior tib which posterior tib is, it's like posterior tibialis. So it's the muscle right next to the tibia and the leg. And so it's on the inside between the calf and the shin and it's flared up and it got pretty bad. And if I keep running through it, it's possible that I could get uh, micro fractures along the tibia bone, which I don't want to do that. And so it's just trying to figure out where I can go and talking to my coach and trying to just figure out what direction I'm going to head in. And as far as just staying strong mentally, um, I, I don't really know where, what the rest of the season looks like. And there, there's a lot of uncertainty and that's just cross country for you. you. You don't know going in, like I, I did everything right in the summer, but get to this point and it's like, Oh, well this flared up and that's happening a lot on our team. We have a lot of issues that we're running into with some of the guys uh, like our number two right now, he just broke his foot and I'm like our number three and I'm I'm out. And so we're missing two of our top five guys. And it's just a tough battle we're trying to figure out. We're like, oh, are we going to be able to make it to nationals? Like, are we even going to make it? We had hopes of being maybe a top six team in the nation. And now it's like, I we we're lucky to be 30th. <laughs> and it's just kind of a, it's it's a tough, tough spot to be in. Do you ever reflect on how unforgiving the sport of running is? How like the highs are so high, but the lows are so low and it can be a few days between a very high high and a very low low. Yeah, I, I've I've definitely been experiencing that over the last few weeks, just trying to build back some form of consistency like I was talking about earlier. But yeah, no, it it's like the highs were, the highs in the summer were just fantastic. It was like whenever I do a crazy workout, I'd always call my like teammate Cole and I'd be like, Cole, dude, I just had this crazy workout. He'd be like, tell me about it. And we just sit and talk for like 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour sometimes just about the workout that I did. And then we talk about his workout and we talk about just running in general and kind of what we were looking forward to in the season. And those highs were just so nice. And it was like, dang, this is, I feel like I'm really progressing right now. And now I'm just kind of in a period where it's like, oh, shoot, I, I feel like I'm losing grips on what my hopes were for the season. And it's just a, yeah, it's, it's a very unforgiving sport. It's very difficult to um, progress, I guess, in, in the long run. If it stay steady, stay consistent, it's like no matter how consistent and steady you are, there are still things that could pop up 
Brock, have you ever heard of the Stocksdale Paradox? I don't think I have. Okay, I think it came from like a war, um, and I think Stocksdale was a general, but it's always very apropos for me when I'm in, in an injury. And the quote is, you must maintain unwavering faith that you can and will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties, and at the same time, have the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. I think it's such an interesting quote. That's like so true. It's like you want to have hope that things are going to work out and work from a place of optimism, but also like have the realism to be like, no, this is bad. And I got to not like run 20 miles today, even if I have the hope that things will work out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely hard to, yeah, no, that's, that's a very real quote because it's almost like sacrificing what you want now for what you want in the future it's like giving up because right now i want to be healthy and i want to be training correctly but like i can't so it's like i have to sacrifice even even though i have the drive to go out and run 20 miles right now it's like i can't do that right now because i i want to be healthy in the future i want to be able to come back whether that's at the end of cross season maybe or maybe it's looking all the way to indoor um just trying to find some form of (laughs) some way to get back but no, that that's definitely that's definitely real. It's definitely a real quote. I, I I'm definitely resonating with that. It's it's very encouraging because it's just looking the realities right now in the face, but also having that faith that you're gonna make it out in the end. And I, I think that faith is like it's it's weird because that's something that it's not really tangible, but it's something that I think makes you better. Like it it's it allows the injuries to heal whenever you have that faith that okay, I'm gonna get back because you're constantly working towards that. And it's like once you start to lose that faith, I don't know if this is a real thing, but once you start to lose that faith that you're going to get better, you usually don't get better as quickly. And so it's like, okay, how, how can I get better? What's the, what do, what does the long term look like? And looking towards that and just trying to keep progressing, honestly. In relation to running, but a little separated from it, for those that don't know, you've got a YouTube channel, you've got a um you own like a merch company. You're obviously a college student. You also obviously run as we've been talking about. How does Brock Kelly prioritize what's important in his life? So I would say like the number one, like no, number one thing for me, I, I'm a Christian, like I have, I have Christian faith. And so that's going to be like the number one on my list of what I prioritize. So like everything else stems from that. And then beyond that would be like running is one of my number one priorities right now. Like in school right now, I don't have very difficult classes. And so because I don't have difficult classes, I'm able to prioritize running more and which is really nice. And then from there, it's like, okay, now I can do YouTube. Like YouTube is probably that, that third or fourth rung. And then beyond that is like, okay, merch, how can I do that? And sometimes the merch and the YouTube, they trade off each other because I have to be like, okay, now I have to work on merch and I have to do graphic design and I have to get the samples created and all this stuff and then okay now i can go back and make some more youtube videos and so over the last few weeks i've kind of been on a break from youtube trying to figure out what direction i'm going to go go in with the channel trying to get this merch dropped if you actually look over here behind me all these t-shirts they're actually lined up all these t-shirts are like part of the next drop (laughs) so uh that that's kind of the hierarchy of priorities in my life right now but the way i prioritize it i mean it's going to be like Christianity, then it's going to be running and then it's going to be, um, then it's going to be YouTube and video creation pretty much. It, it, YouTube almost comes before school because school isn't that difficult right now, which is kind of weird as a student athlete, but 
if my grades start to slip, it definitely that definitely goes up in the in the hierarchy. But that's kind of the list of priorities right now. Now, how I prioritize that type of stuff, um, I'm I'm a very go with the flow guy. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm I'm gonna get this done. It's kind of like one thing to the next to the next. And sometimes it because I'm so go with the flow, I get a little overwhelmed if too many things are happening at once. Which is kind of weird, but I'm I'm very go with the flow. But if too many things, if I have too many things that take a top priority or that I want to prioritize at the top is like, I want to get these t-shirts out. I want to get, I want to make a YouTube video. I want to run. I want to make good grades on this next test. And it's like, if I have too many things that are there, it's almost overwhelming. But if I can go from one thing be like, okay, this needs to be a top priority. Now this needs to be a top priority now and just move from one thing to the next to the next. Then usually I find progress in the long term. I love it. I love it. Music to my ears, Brock. So even though this is a running podcast, I do want to ask you this as a fellow Christian, have you always been into your faith or was there like a turning point where your faith got to the point where on podcast now you're like, that's not my number one priority. You know what I mean? And if so, what was that turning point for you? Yeah, no, I I would say I've kind of always been in the faith. I've, I've always been a believer. It's been something that I've tried to integrate in my life. Of course, there are ups and downs. There are times where I feel further away from God, and there's times where I feel close to God, but it's always been something that I try to integrate into my life, and it's just a relationship that I try to have that allows me to stay mentally sane and allows me to feel, allows me to grow as an individual. And one of the coolest things, um, this is kind of a side note, but one of the best experiences I ever I had in my entire time over the summer was, th- this is going to sound weird, it was in an olive garden. And I was with the Roots guys, and it was like Austin Dahlquist. And My guy. I love Austin. Austin's great. Austin and Carlos and uh, Brian Barraza was there, and there, my friend Mike was there, Mike Rosenbluth, and uh, there were a few other guys that were there. And we were just just having a good time. And I find out that Carlos and Austin and all those guys, they're all like really good Christian dudes. And they were like, yo, you want to come to church with us? And I was like, yeah, for sure. And so like it, just this, this interaction we had, it was one of the most wholesome interactions. It was in Portland right after they had raced or some of the guys had raced or maybe Austin and Pace. I don't really know who all was running that day, but we were just cracking up in, in an olive garden, just having a great time. And just that fellowship that we experienced right there, it allowed me to develop those relationships. And it was just like in those moments is where I feel closest to God just those that that fellowship and that was that was just such a great time and you can ask anybody in that group they were like that was one of the best experiences ever (laughs) and it's just so funny because it's just an olive garden in portland just hanging out with some dudes from your experience do you feel like your faith has grounded you in a way in which when the trials and tribulations and lows of the sport something like you're going through right now you're able to deal with it better because you're more grounded than the individual who bases their whole identity and worth on the sport. I would say yes. Like for me personally, it's, it's something because, because if I, if my whole identity was based on running right now, where, where would I go? Like, what's the, what's the next step? It's like, Oh, I just cross train like a maniac and try to somehow keep my aerobic fitness. And it's, it's like, it's just grasping at straws at the end of it. And it's, it's like all we really have right here is just, are uh, all that I really have right here is just my faith. And that's going to be the foundation that keeps me alive and keeps me afloat during the difficult times. From one subject to another, let's talk YouTube. I'm so curious about this because I know you've had a channel for a while, but I feel like most people didn't know about it. When did you first pick up a camera, get on the app and post your first video? Okay, so we could, 
I guess the first video I made was in high school, eleventh grade. I I remember watching like Ryan Trahan videos because I feel like I feel like most runners used to yep, watch Ryan. Totally, Trahan. he was great. I loved watching his videos. I know some people have beef with him. They're like, oh, like he ruined Texas A and M and like the ruined the culture. I don't I don't know. There's there's some things I've heard from other runners that don't aren't huge fans of Ryan, but I loved Ryan's videos. I still love Ryan's videos. They're great. I was watching those. I was like, dang, this would be cool to just bring a camera along at a track meet. And so I, uh, we, we were, it was the middle of indoor season. It was like January. I was like, I'm going to bring my photo camera. I'd been taking photos for probably two or three years at that point and just doing photography. And from there, I said, I'm going to bring the camera along to a track meet. I'll put it on a tripod and just try to film some stuff. So I brought it along, filmed some stuff, had some of my friends film some of my races. And then I made a video and I edited it on a terrible software called HitFilm Express on my old Toshiba computer and it was the worst video I think I've ever made in my entire life I there I go back and watch it sometimes because I'm like yeah like let's see well, it can't be that bad then I watch it it's terrible <laughs> but I'm like yeah let me let me just try to make a video and so I made a video and I remember people looking at me like what, are you trying to make a YouTube video right now you're trying to you have a channel or something and I was like yeah like I'm, I'm just making videos I don't know and that kind of got my start I just like the whole process of editing and creating a video because it was just so much more than photography because photography, you take like one frame and it's like, oh, that's that's really cool. And it's it has its own complexities. But video creation was just like a three-dimensional. Ver it just kept going. It was just layers and layers and layers. You can just keep adding layers and trying to cut in the right places and adding music. And everything involved in that process was just enticing to me. And so I really enjoyed making my first video. And I said, oh, I'm just going to keep making these things. And so I think the next video I made, it wasn't very good. I think I was just, there was like a three-minute portion in there where I was just eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and just talking. <laughs> I was like, this is boring. Like, it was almost like I was trying to model after Casey Neistat or somebody. And I'm like, well, I'm not Casey Neistat, so this doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> there, I can't do this. Like, it, I don't have the same reputation. I don't, I'm not like a big-time filmmaker like he is. And so from there, kind of just kept making videos through high school. I would make one at meets every now and then. And then in college, I kind of picked it back up a little bit more. And at the time, I think back in maybe 12th grade, I got a little bit famous on TikTok. I guess that was COVID year and stuff. And I was making music recommendations out of all things, nothing related to running, nothing related to anything else. But I would like lip sync music recommendations. I would make these little videos and they were unique. And I would film them on a little Canon EOS M50 just a nicer camera than like an iPhone camera. So people can notice the video quality. And at the time, TikTok was just pretty much all iPhone exclusively, like 95, 99% of the videos were just taken on iPhone. It's probably still the same way, honestly. But most of the videos were taken on iPhone. It was very rare to see a high quality produced video. And I just started making these TikToks and that got me to blow up on there. And I was like, I can do this on YouTube too. And so I started doing it on YouTube and I was like, oh, this is a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> and then eventually uh, kept, just made videos with the team and those got better and better. And I think the real progression point, the real progressing point in my video creation was I, I worked at a summer camp over, I'm trying to think of what year that was, probably sophomore, after my sophomore year in college, I was working at this camp. And it, I meant no, it was after my freshman year in college, I was working at this camp. And uh, I was making videos all the time, just editing, filming, editing, filming, editing, filming, like probably a video every three days. And because of that, I was able to develop 
a set style that I of how I created videos. And I already kind of had a style from all the YouTube videos I'd made, but I was able to just perfect it and perfect it and really dig into the craft over that summer. And by the end of the summer, I was like, dang, I can make some good videos. And I made a time trial video once we got back in August. And that was probably the second time trial video I made, but it was still a pretty decent video. Everybody was like, whoa, this is really cool. And on the team, it was like the first time that they'd gotten any sort of media coverage, notoriety for anything that they've done. And I was like, yeah, no, this is fun. And so then I kind of brought the camera along to some meets every now and then, and we just keep recording videos with the team. And then eventually, I guess this was this past January, that's when I ran into Sam Parsons in, uh, in Boston. I was with the team filming a video and we were, I was with my team filming a video and I was racing the mile, I think that day. And I was walking around with a camera and a hat from, uh, you know, Colin and Samira. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Big yeah. Fans. I was wearing a Colin and Samira. I was wearing a press publish hat and Sam looked at me. I was like, yo, I love those guys. I was like, Colin and Samira. <laughs> and we just started talking and he was like, yeah, dude, like, and he's like, yeah, I'm a creative director for 10 man. And I was like, yeah, like I, I kind of know who you are, but I just didn't, I didn't know what your role was necessarily. So we started talking about that and he was like, okay, cool. He followed me on Instagram. I sent him some of my YouTube stuff. And he said, dude, this stuff's awesome. And then maybe a month later, that's when uh, Max reached out to me, Max McNerney. He said, yo, you want to come intern with 10 man? I was like, is this real? <laughs> it was just kind of a weird situation, but that's a, that's a lot. I've been talking for a long time. No, I love it. I love it. People are going to look back on this one day and be like that. That's the, that's the story. And you're still writing it today. Something I do want to get into though, for me personally, it resonated with me when you were saying your first video was so bad because I like, I struggle so much leaving my first podcast up and first few, like they're all bad, but like the first one specifically is just horrible. But then I think, well, people can go back and listen to that one and then compare it to where I'm at today and be like, oh, wow, it takes a while to get good at something. What are your thoughts on that? And like even leaving, and no matter how big you get, leaving the original stuff up, no matter how bad it is, to display a sense of like, you you don't get good at the platform on the first video. You get good on the platform by like the 50th, the 100th, when you've improved yeah. your craft that many times. Yeah, no, I, I think Mr. Beast does it the best. <laughs> He, he leaves everything on the platform and you can see how he started with just these very basic videos where he was just like talking. He like saying every day, bro, or, or whatever. I don't, I don't remember. Or maybe said Logan Paul a hundred thousand times or something. And those types of videos are what ended up making him famous. But it took like, I think it took a hundred videos for him to get a thousand subscribers or something. And Jeez. he leaves all those videos up. They're all still up on his channel. And I, I think that's super respectful because you can kind of see where he came from. And now he's making these huge multi-million dollar videos and he just reinvests all the money that he makes from YouTube back into another video and another video. And I think it's the same thing with like your podcast, the same thing with my videos. I like to leave them up just because people can go back and look at those and they're like, yeah, like this sucks, but it's fun because you can see the progression. You can, I, I, it's, it's encouraging to other people in a lot of ways because other people will see it and they'll be like, Oh wait, he was just kind of, he was a very average, not a very good video creator. Maybe I can do this too. And it's just taking that first step that really, that's one of the scariest things because I remember like bringing the camera along to that track meet. It was just terrifying. So I was like, this, people are going to look at me like I'm so weird. I'm just walking around with a camera, filming myself, talking to it. People are going to be like, what are you doing? It's like, Oh, whatever. Like, and eventually you just kind of get over that. You just bring the camera along. You just do it. And, that's like taking that first step is the hardest thing to do 
and it's not the end of the story either because you still have to figure out what direction you're trying to go in how you can add value to the audience but taking that first step is just the most important thing that you can possibly do and then if people can see that first step that you took they can realize wait a second maybe i can do this too because that wasn't that doesn't look like that big like that doesn't look that difficult and it's encouraging to the other people and it's like oh well maybe i can start a youtube channel maybe i can make videos maybe i can do a podcast like it's it's just this progression i guess <laughs> let's talk about the the video that i think will forever go down in brock kelly's history the training to run 100 miles in a week which just absolutely popped off take me through posting that video and kind of the maybe going on youtube analytics youtube studio and just seeing the numbers go crazy yeah, no, that was super fun. <laughs> that was that was a fun experience. So I made the day in the life working with the professional running team. That was right before the building up to running 100 miles in a week. And that that day in the life video ended up doing pretty well. I think it, it got like 10,000, 12,000, 15,000 views or something. And I was watching it and I was like, dang, this is crazy. And one of the things I noticed about it was that it had it had it was longer than eight minutes. And most of the time in order for YouTube to recommend your content it needs to be longer than eight minutes. And for the longest time I was making like four minute videos. And because I was making these four minute videos, they weren't really getting pushed out, even though they were super high quality, they were super fun. They were super engaging. Like the audience retention on them was like 50, 60%, but they weren't good enough videos to really get pushed out because they weren't long enough. And so I started making like a little bit longer form videos at the beginning of the summer. And I was like, wait a second, this is actually kind of working. I think I've, because for a while there, I was doubting my ability to make YouTube videos. I was like, I don't like I've been making these videos for so long and I feel like I've mastered the craft. I feel like I've studied it so much where I can make a decent video, but it's not getting pushed out to anyone. And what's the what's the deal with this? And so I made the day in the life video and then I made the building up to running 100 miles in a week. And I'm like, this is something that I can just show. I can make a video after a video after a video showing this prog this process of building up to this. It's kind of. Uh, it's it's just this journey that I can bring the channel on, and I was like, we're gonna I'm gonna make a good thumbnail. I'm gonna make it. I'm just gonna have a catchy enough title, and because it has a good thumbnail and title, people are gonna click on it. And whenever people click on it, they're gonna realize, wait a second, who is this guy? How is he making these good videos? This doesn't make any sense. And like that was my thought. I was like, we'll see what happens. And so I posted it, and then it started doing well. And I was like, wait a second, this is making this is doing pretty good. I kind of like I, I think I'm go, trending in the right direction. And so I started to get some subscribers. It took me so long to get my first thousand subscribers. Then I went from like a thousand to six thousand in like a week or something. And I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> Which was awesome. It was so much fun to see that. Yeah, something I want to pick your brain on. I was having this conversation with multiple people on a long run here. And these are like very accomplished people in life and even in media. And like one of them, a few of them are like good friends with Ryan Trahan and like big people in the media space. Anyways, the discussion that took place was essentially like no one is on the platform creating long form running content. And as you remember, like when you were talking about watching Ryan Trahan's videos, I was like, I know what you mean, bro. Like he produced awesome running content. And then it was like Zach Levitt. And then it was like the athlete special. And even Emma Abrahamson, when she was at Oregon, she used to produce videos. And it was like, I remember being subscribed to all four and being hype anytime one of them posted. And I remember like sometimes two of them would post on the same day and the comment sections were like, it's Christmas. <laughs> like people went crazy. And my whole point was like the audience didn't go anywhere. People just left the platform. Like the audience is still pining for solid running content. 
And I honestly think you to this day, you're like the only person at least starting the summer that has like consistently uploaded high quality running content. What are your thoughts on just kind of the landscape of running YouTube, how like no one is doing it anymore, but yet there's such massive upside because so many people are pining for that content. It's so, it's so encouraging in a lot of ways because for a while there I was thinking, okay, I feel like this is a dead market. Like I feel like I'm beating a dead horse almost. And then I was like, Wait a second. People are like people are still running, even though even though people have gotten faster, it doesn't matter. Like you still can build a reputation for yourself through making decent videos and that long form content. Like you were saying, like everyone was making it, and then it was radio silence for like years almost. Like, nobody was making it, and people were like trying to make it. Like I was still making it technically. If you go back on my channel, you can find old videos where I was still making running content, and it wasn't necessarily long form. That was probably shorter technically maybe like five minute videos but yeah i i just think i think there's a lot of opportunity there for creators and there's a lot of opportunity for me personally to dig into that and grow and i've seen have you started a channel no 2024 you haven't started a channel yet somebody somebody started a channel recently oh uh adam adam woods oh yeah he's big on like tiktok and instagram and i think he's slowly transferring over yeah, I met him in uh, in LA and we started talking about, I was like, oh yeah, dude, I've, I've, I've seen your stuff on like TikTok and Instagram and stuff. And he was like, oh, that's super cool. And he was like, so like, who are you? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm interning with Tin Man. I have a YouTube channel and stuff. He was like, oh, okay, cool. He's like, I'm thinking about starting YouTube. And then like a few months later, I've, I've seen, he's been posting pretty consistently and he's been raking in probably 10,000 views a video or oh, something wow. like that. And so there's, yeah, he's, he's doing really well right now. And I think... I think that audience is still there and that audience still wants that good content. I mean, like for me, it's, it's weird because I'm, I'm just like this guy from, I, I, I was with 10 man affiliated with them and I'm just like this D2 runner dude. And I think the distance project with Callum Elson, like he, he's kind of making long form content. That's pretty good too. But I, I, I know there's, I know there's still a market there. That's like, it's not saturated at all. Like there's still so much opportunity there. The one thing I'd say in relation to you is you're the only person I've seen who makes Zach Levitt style videos and there's a reason he got to 100,000 subscribers. And you also have the Zach Levitt personality, I think, where you're just, I mean, people can get this from listening to you speak here, but like you have a very ebullient personality and you're very good at speaking and you just seem good in front of the camera mixed with that style of video where you can tell that someone produced and edited it on a high level versus like not to throw shade at other people, but like other running YouTubers I've seen as of late, it's not the same, not even that your stuff's like cinematic level quality, but you know what I mean? There's definitely a difference in quality. And I think people watched Zach Levitt for like the quality. Like I think he was almost the king of running YouTube. And that's why people were so sad when he left because he just made such crisp videos that you wanted to go back and rewatch not even because the substance of the video, but just how he weaved the substance together. Not sure if you yeah, have any no, thoughts I, on that. I, think he was, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think he was so good at that, creating that type of content. And some of the videos were super simple. They just had a really good intro and a really good thumbnail and a really good title. And so he would make a he would make a really good title, a really good thumbnail, and then he would have like that intro with uh, what like Devil Eyes or something planned. Or was that I don't I don't even remember what it was. It it could have been uh like Sour Patch Kids with Bryce Vine. It was it was something that he, he would integrate. Um or maybe that was the athlete special. I don't think it was. I think that was Zach. And but but anyways, he would he would have these good intros that would have like his his name, logo, flash up on the screen and stuff. And 
they were good enough where it was engaging where people would make it to the meat of the content and then be like oh wait here's information he's sitting talking about the thing i clicked on the video to see i think i'll sit and stay around and youtube would see that and they would push those videos out and so i i think he was just he would just make great content and i i, I completely agree with you there like he was he was that guy that would make cinematic type content even though like it, it wasn't like he was filming insane it wasn't like eric floberg almost it was it was like less than floberg but still good enough where he, he had that young vibrant personality that's what that did it kind of, yeah it was also his lifestyle and i think <laughs> I, w- I would say this to you as an affirmation if you never get that much faster like People are bought into the story, not into the times. And it's the story you tell around the times that matters the most. And Zach just lived this unbelievably interesting life in a van traveling all over. Like no one really understood what he was doing when you were watching the video. And because of that mystery, I think people were so much more enamored with him and what he was making. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's that was a big part of it. He just had that mystery about him. I, I, I completely agree there. What do you see when you plan ahead, when you dream ahead? Is YouTube like full time? Is that something you would dream about? Like, would you, if I offered that to you today, like full time on YouTube, would you do it or do you have aspirations elsewhere? Okay. I think I would. Yeah. If I, if I could go full time on YouTube and also build like a brand off of it, because right now in college, I'm studying entrepreneurship. So entrepreneurial business. So I, nothing related to video, nothing related to photo, like no media related stuff, but it's all business. And so I've been studying entrepreneurial business and I feel like I've got a decent grasp on what it's like to start a business. And so I've started kind of my own business, my own clothing brand that I created based upon the idea of intentionality in athletics. And that's something that I'm, I'm working on growing. And I think if I could do that in tandem with making YouTube videos and kind of build out a little bit of a team, probably a small team, maybe like two or three people, that would be incredible. But I don't know exactly what the future of that looks like because it's it's I'm still in college. It's still kind of a busy time where I'm like, okay, well, I have to study for this midterm instead of edit this video. And it's I have to go and race this weekend instead of sit down and edit for four hours. So it's just kind of a weird it's a weird thing being a college athlete and a YouTuber. It's, it's hard to balance. And I think Ryan Trahan ran into that same issue whenever he was at AM. Cause I I remember he was still making videos. And his grades were slipping and it wasn't because he was wasn't intelligent it was just because he, it was hard to find that balance because like he was valedictorian of his class but then he couldn't really figure out what the balance of that whole situation was and i think he, he just didn't have a whole lot of direction on where he was gonna like take the uh channel i think for ryan too he just became not at all passionate about school <laughs> his his intentionality completely switched to running in youtube and when that bolt started to do well, he was like, uh, this school is kind of the third part of the relationship that I don't enjoy. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, it's funny to think back on those days. So Brock, I loved our discussion on YouTube again. If, if you guys are listening and are not already subscribed, go subscribe to Brock. I, I do want to kind of tackle another subject that I'm interested in. And I, I honestly think this would be a good video for you chronicling your running journey. I feel like those do pretty well and are always interesting, but I don't know your start in the sports story. So Spill the tea for those listening. How'd you get started in the sport of running and what were your first impressions of it? Okay, so I would say probably like PE class in like fifth grade or something like that, uh, or maybe just elementary school in general. We would always, there were, I just remember being in elementary school and it would always be like, okay, we're going to race. You're in, if you were in like second grade, it would be like, oh, you're just going to race like a lap around the field. And if you were in 
third or fourth grade, you would race like two laps around the field. And then by like fifth grade, it was like, okay, you're going to do a mile around the field. And I remember doing that mile and being like, okay, like that hurt a lot, but I think I'm good at this. <laughs> and eventually it just kept moving forward in that. And we had a sixth grade P, like PE teacher. We had a PE teacher who started the sixth grade cross country program. And we had a cross country course out at our high school and the middle school and the high school were closely connected. So we would just go out after school, like once or twice a week and run the cross country course uh, like one time, probably like 1.8 miles or something. And I just remember running that and I would just run faster than most of the other people that were out there. And I was like, well, maybe I'm good at this. I don't know. And then we had like an inner squad meet and I did pretty well in that. I think I won that one. And then I was like, okay, well, I can keep doing this. And then seventh grade came around and I was like, well, I'm going to run cross country. That sounds like the next logical step. And so I signed up for the cross country team, trained over the summer a little bit and then ran cross country and did pretty well. I think I only ran two or three middle school meets before my coach was like, we need you on varsity. It's like, okay. So then I moved up. So I ran a couple, two miles. I was, I was never like, like I look at middle schoolers now and they're just like stupid fast. <laughs> I was like, I was probably like an 1130 two miler. And so it was fast enough. And compared to the other guys that had run at my school before, I think the fastest guy at my school before was like a 1930 guy. And he was, he was like the school record holder. Everybody looked up this guy like, Oh, he's the real deal. He's huge. And I remember seeing that and I was like, okay, like that's, that's pretty crazy. And then I ran in the seventh grade for cross country. I think I ran 1838 in the 5k at state meet. I was like, okay, well, uh, maybe I'm, I think I'm better than Zach Pitts. But I think that was, that was the guy's name was Zach Pitts. I was like, I think I'm better than Zach. And it was kind of just this realization. It was okay. Well, maybe I'm decent at this. And then eighth grade came around and I want to say I ran sub 18 for the first time. And then ninth grade came around and I was just running low 17s. And then 10th grade was kind of a repeat. And then 11th grade, I think I broke 17 maybe. And then 12th grade, I was, uh, which 11th, no, 11th grade, I definitely broke 17. I think I was Gatorade runner of the year in 11th grade. And then 12th grade, I was, uh, 12th grade, I, I ran like 15, 30, but it was on like a shorter course. So I was, I was more of like a 16 flat guy, which is relatively fast for cross country. And at the same time, I started doing track in the spring, probably in ninth grade. I used to play baseball in seventh and eighth grade, and I really enjoyed baseball, but I eventually was like, I think I'm just better at running and started doing like the mile and the 3,200 and the 800. And it was like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm actually better at this. So just kept doing that. And by the end of it, I was like, yeah, this is, this is something that I really enjoy and started reaching out to some college coaches and some coaches started reaching out to me and they were like, yeah, like you want to come run for us? And I was like, yeah. So I went on a few different visits, looked at LSU, looked at uh, university of Southern Mississippi, which is another D one in uh, conference USA and then looked at Mississippi College, which is where I'm at now, and their D2 in the Gulf South Conference. And it, eventually I landed here, and I really love the coach. I love the team, love the atmosphere, love the school. And I was like, yeah, like this is this is the fit for me. And so we started. It was my it was the coach's first year, technically. He'd been an assistant coach, uh, Coach Matthew Reniker. He moved into a head coaching position, and it was his first year. We were, I want to say, the first year he got here as an assistant coach, we were dead last in our conference. And then we started kind of building up and eventually we were, we've been kind of second in our conference behind Lee. They've had like Christian Noble and those, and they've had some other top guys, top caliber guys that have kind of pushed us, pushed us out. But uh, we were hoping this year to be uh, top of the conference, but I just don't know if it's going to happen with the way that it's looking. Um, there was another, there's another really cool story there. I guess it was 10th grade year. I passed out at the state meet 
I was running, I was running on the state course and I was leading the race by, I, I ran for a small one, a private school that raced the public school division. And so we, um, we were, I, I was racing the state meet. It was, it's a small division. And so I, I was leading the race by a pretty good margin, probably 40 seconds, maybe a minute. And I passed out with about a half mile to go. And I, I just remember like having to be carted up to the finish line hill and my team still won the state championship that year. But at the end of it, I was just like, dang, like that sucks. Like that I wasn't able to, I, I kind of like had fought for this for the whole season and I wasn't able to complete that. And so then the next year I came back and I was like, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm out for vengeance. Like <laughs> I'm going to come back and I'm, I'm just going to destroy this race. I'm going to destroy this season. And like, that's when I got Gatorade runner of the year. That's when I ran the best time at state meet that I think I'd ever run. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is good. This is a good trajectory that I'm on. What is the thing that makes the sport of running stand out to you? And what are the biggest lessons running has taught you thus far? I think patience is a big thing. Um, that's, that's probably the most important thing that you're ever going to learn because a lot of people think it's this David Goggins mentality of like, Oh, I just got to get out there and just crush it every day. And if I can just crush it every day, I'm going to get better and better and better. And like, you need that grit, but hanging out with the pros all summer, I, I like saw these guys and I was like, yeah, no, there's a disconnect here between the professional athletes and the people like me or the people, the high schoolers or other athletes think that the professional athletes train like, and so you see this. It's just, it's just very, it's very different than kind of how I thought it was. Cause I was like, oh, these guys just have to be like, so insanely like mentally, like kill themselves every time they go out there and run like all balls to the wall all the time. And it's like, no, like they're, they're just, they train in a smart way. They're very patient with their training and because they're patient, that's what allows them to be successful. And that was something I was just working on over the summer. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be very patient in this. I'm not going to push incredibly hard, but I'm going to push myself to the threshold and I'm going to, I'm going to do a lot of threshold work, a lot of longer stuff and just see what my limits are. And that's what is what allowed me to keep going forward over the summer and just kind of like push my limitations. But that, that was that the big, biggest thing I think in running is patience. It's, it's not, and it's, it's just being willing to sacrifice what you want right now for what you want in the future. Intentions over everything. Take me through this, this motto, where you got it from, what it means to you and why you think more people should implement it into their life. So this motto started back, I guess, two summers ago, whenever I was in Lynchburg, Virginia, and I was making YouTube videos and they just felt kind of uh, soulless. They didn't feel like there was a lot of, I, they didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really enjoy making them. I was like, I just want to go back to making videos that I want to make. I want to make fun videos. And I just kind of decided, yeah, I'm going to create this motto and with, I'm going to build videos with intention. And I said, I'm just going to make these videos. They're going to be fun. They may not be running related, but they're just going to be fun videos. And that was the thing I became intentional about, just making videos that I wanted to make. And over the course of the next few months, we started easing into the season. And I was like, okay, intentionality, that's a, that's a big aspect. I like that idea in sport. I like that idea for the channel. And so I kind of kept pushing forward with intentionality. And like that was intentions over everything was the motto that I was creating there. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to keep using this over throughout the season. And then I kind of lost sight of the motto. I kind of lost sight of being intentional about what I was doing throughout that whole season. And by the end of the season, I ended up just not finishing very well. I got the flu at the end of the season and it just felt like I was just mentally destroyed. I ran at the national meet and came in almost dead last. I was like, dude, this is terrible. And then at that point I was like, okay, attention's over everything, over everything, OE, over everything athletics club. That's where I like started to build the merch brand. And I was like, we're, we're going to come back hard, better than we've ever come back before. 
So I started building up, building up mileage, building up the training. And by the time I got around to January, I was, I was ready to roll. And I was stronger than ever. I was fitter than ever. I started practicing better habits and I became intentional about building good habits as opposed to just like intentional about making better videos. It, it was like this whole shift of, I'm going to be intentional about having better habits. And because I had better habits, I was able to progress in a way that I haven't hadn't done in previous seasons. I mean, by the time I got to the season, indoor was just very successful for me. I, I ran a, my fastest 3K ever. Like I ran one of my fastest miles ever. Maybe I was right at my mile PR. And it, it was just like, okay, this is a time where I'm feeling good. I feel like I'm mentally stronger than I've ever been before. And this is, this is just, I've, I'm practicing better habits. And I, I've built, then that's when I built the clothing brand. I built the intentions over everything. And it was just this idea of intentionality in sports, intentionality in building good habits and creating consistency. And then I carried that off into my summer. And then being able to see the 10-man guys and the other pros that were out there, like some of the guys from OAC and all these guys living intentional lifestyles and seeing kind of how what that actually looks like allowed me to run better throughout the summer one final serious question for you brock what would be one final takeaway message you want to leave with our audience who has made it this far today mm, i would say consistency just build up build up as much consistency as possible because like, you can have flashy workouts all the time and not race well because you don't have a strong mind and consistency builds a strong mind in the long term. And so I would say just build up as much consistency as you can. And whenever you get out there each and every day and you're, you're fighting for it, that's, what's going to make you stronger in the end, not doing these flashy workouts though. Scientifically, like it's good to have the flashy workouts, but <laughs> there are maybe not flashy workouts, but just good workouts. Uh, but the, the best thing you can do for yourself as a runner is to build consistency. And with that consistency, that's, what's going to carry you off into um, with the consistency, that's just what's going to carry you through the rest of the season and what's going to make you stronger in the end. The final question I ask every single guest on every single episode, if you had Gordon Ramsay coming over to your house, dorm, whatever you'd call it in your situation for dinner, what would you choose to make for him? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm a big PB and J guy, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. If the three minute like clip with Gordon there. that might give views. And maybe, uh, just, Making a peanut butter and jelly for Gordon Ramsay would, I think that'd be amusing. Okay, peanut butter and jelly it is. Brock, yeah. a pleasure speaking with you. I'm pretty good at making coffee. <laughs> coffee and PB and J. Coffee drinker. When's PB and J? When is when is the best time to have PB and J? Is it a lunch food? Is it a breakfast food for you? What are your it, thoughts? It was more a lunch food. Lunch it, food. It's more a lunch food for me. Okay. If, if I can eat it at lunch, then I can. It's it has enough time to digest for my double later. And if I can, it's it's just a good in between. Like if I do a morning session and then a double later, it's like. That's a good, good, happy medium. Very valid. Very valid. Brock, a pleasure speaking with you. Keep crushing it. Excited to see you crushing running, life, YouTube, wherever God takes you in this, the next stages of your life. So appreciate you doing this and best of luck with everything upcoming. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I don't take your time for granted, so I hope that it brought you some wisdom and value that you can apply directly into your running and into your life. If you have not already done so, please consider giving us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And then something all of you guys can do is share today's episode or the podcast in general with a friend or someone who you think will benefit from it. One more note, if you're not already following us on Instagram, consider doing so. My Instagram tag is at the running effect. I hope your running and life is going well. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to listen to today's episode. I will catch you in two days when the next episode drops. Until then, happy running.